0: Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken
1: podcast.
0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Going to be doing something a little bit uh, different and interesting here. We're going to be breaking up this episode, or, or this point in time anyway, into two different um, parts. This will be the first part coming after the player exit interview day. RJ, you were there basically all day today um, hearing from all of the players. Tomorrow, of course, will be Coach Dave Haxtall and General Manager Ron Francis and all of that. So we'll be covering and doing part two to all of this tomorrow. Uh, on today's section, we're going to, of course, be covering those player uh, exit interviews, but we're also going to be talking about the, the series wrap up the, the we're going to be talking about the Dallas series because it's over Kraken lost in game seven we haven't been able to record since then because I've been traveling uh, I'm still sick <laughs> all that good stuff uh. um, but uh, let's go ahead and start with that RJ uh, before we move on to the player stuff um, Kraken take Dallas to seven you know, I mean, it's been said a billion times by now, right? Everybody would have taken this result at the beginning of the season. If you said the Kraken were going to go to a game seven in the second round, um, you know, would you be okay with that? We all would have been like, hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> and you know what? It was. It was it was that exciting. And it was a ton of fun um, what this Kraken team was able to do. It was an incredible way for them to finish the year and, and to really, you know, as as. Many people on the team, around the team, Coach Haxall said, I mean, just establish themselves in the NHL, establish themselves in Seattle, do all of that impressive, impressive stuff.
1: Right. And the Kraken gained a lot of respect with this playoff run, exceeding everybody's expectations. And um, even even to the very end, I thought it was a real after game five. We both kind of felt like there was a chance that it was over and and the stars kind of had the crack and figured out, but a really gutsy game six effort at home to win, to force it to Dallas for a game seven. Mm Uh, and then, yeah, you you go down in in two, one in a close game seven, even though, you know, you get outplayed quite a bit, Philip Grubauer with a fantastic performance, but really this was a team that just fought and fought and fought until the very end.
0: Yep. Um, We'll obviously continue to talk all off season about what a success this se- this season was for the Kraken, but let's go ahead and do a little bit of a post-mortem on the series itself, RJ. Because the bottom line was, what cost the Kraken this series was just their inability to defeat the Stars' defense when Yanni Hockenpah was not in the lineup. It's the bottom <laughs> line, right? Like, that's what lost them the series
1: yeah exactly and it's so tough getting through that those layers of defense that dallas has and yeah that lindell hock pop pairing was nice you can take advantage of that but they're not on the ice all the time and and miro haskin in fact is on the ice probably at least half the time so that presents another challenge as well for the kraken and i think you saw that in game five and game seven those two pivotal games uh where the stars were able to kind of shut things down with a lead in the third period and the Kraken just couldn't really claw their way back and in game seven they're just trying to tie this game and chase it and they only get really three shots on goal until the final little stretch there as they're making their last minute push so just not good enough in that respect and I I think you know that was kind of a struggle for them.
0: It was it was definitely a struggle for them um just trying to crack that that defense try to get inside on Jake Ottinger right like this is how you were able to chase Jake Ottinger twice it was a big story especially around the Dallas Stars media groups uh those two games I was there just how much Jake Ottinger struggled in that series that is not something that it was any of them were used to seeing like it was definitely something that was I won't say shaking them because it's not like they're the team, but it was something that they were just like, wow, like this is new. Uh, how do we cover this kind of thing, right? Um, and uh, and the bottom line is the Kraken were able to do a really good job in those other games of getting pressure in front of him, confusing him, um, getting there for rebound chances, being able to you know pass from right in front of him so he's already committed to a certain angle and then get something going on a separate side. That's what they were able to do in game six very effectively. And then just Game 7 looked a lot like Game 5, where it was just taking shots from the perimeter and nobody can get inside and nobody can kind of do anything. And the one thing about it that was odd for me is that, you know, this is what the, the Stars did to rally for Games 4 and 5. And it worked very well for them. And they won both of those games and were able to, you know, get up to the three wins and, and kind of sit in that driver's seat. Um, they struggled to do it in Game 6. Obviously, the Kraken took great advantage of that. When game seven starts and Dallas goes back to doing that, why didn't the Kraken kind of have an answer for it, right? Why didn't they try something new? And then after that, you have two intermission breaks to maybe try to make an adjustment. And they just were never able to to really do it. And I don't know if it was in part just because the players were really tired. I think that was part of it is that it requires a ton of effort to try to break through that physically and everything. But that, that I think is always going to be the one kind of question that lingers with me is just why they weren't able to really kind of crack that nut after having multiple games to go at it.
1: Right. And I I do think fatigue was probably a pretty big part of it. I mean, there were, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but in the exit interviews today, there were a couple players that did kind of hint at that fatigue and, you know, how tired the team was after that grind that they'd experienced. And I think it really does add up. And one lesson that I really want the Kraken to take away from this year's playoffs is to seize those opportunities when you have a chance to really put a team away, when you have your opponent on the ropes, whether that is game six against Colorado, where you can close the series out there, get yourself a couple extra days of rest before you go on to Dallas, which I think would have helped them a lot, or whether that's game four against Dallas, where you have a chance to go up three, one really put them on the ropes at that point, And you still have some energy you're playing at home kind of seize those moments more because when you don't, These series can get more drawn out and you can be left in a game seven like that, where it's a really tough task to forecheck, to get home, to find those pucks. It's going to take a lot of energy and maybe you just don't have that much energy left.
0: Yep. And that's, you know, it's what you're saying is definitely a key thing. It's something um, all newer groups struggle with uh, when they're they're early on together. And I think that was another key thing that came out through this whole postseason run was the fact that, hey, yeah, keep, let's keep in mind these guys, you know, the core of this team has only existed together for two seasons because that's all the team has existed for. Right. Like yep, there's going to be growing true. pains there still. Right. It's it, it makes it that much more um, impressive what they were able to do in the postseason in this one. Philip Grubauer was incredible in that game seven. One of the best game seven goaltending performances I had ever seen. Certainly that I had ever witnessed in person, especially because that was my First ever game seven in person um but philip grubauer was super impressive rj the one thing i want to come away from all of this if it's the only thing that comes away from all of this is i just want people to settle down with the grubauer hate like just get it out of here like season one was what it was we all know that he knew that everybody knew that it's what it was season two though once he was healthy played great down the stretch in the regular season incredible postseason he is the kraken's number one
1: that's just the way it is, everybody. And he's not bad. Right. He he played well, especially in the playoffs when it matters most. He was able to step up and play his best games. And I talked about that fatigue kind of getting to everyone. I think I talked about that schedule being really tough. You know who loves the grind? Philip Grubauer. Yeah. And he was talking about it today. You know how he just loves being able to get into that rhythm. And he thinks that getting that kind of workload and and being the guy really brings the best out of him. And I think we saw that in the playoffs this year. And I think everyone needs to remember that kind of all summer. And as we approach next season.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's going to be a big one. We'll talk a little bit later about him and my ideas for maybe how the Kraken can utilize him next season to best keep him, you know, ready to go for another potential postseason run next year. Uh, Cause that's certainly going to be what's expected at this point moving forward. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll be talking about that in the next couple days, I'm sure. Um, As for the game itself, you get the two stars goals. A lot was talked about with that um, Rupe school, RJ, that first one. Is it on Alexiak? Is it not? I mean, you want to say your piece on it just because, you know, we all
1: kind of have to. Sure. I mean, it, it was definitely a big turning point in that game and the Kraken uh, had held and held and held a lot of bending and then it finally broke a- at that point. So a puck gets lifted up into the air, kind of aerial flip out of the zone for Dallas, and it, it lands in a way that Jamie Alexiak doesn't quite expect. He's got to go quickly, try and adjust to that puck, tries to bring it from one side of his body to the other side. Uh, Hints is able to intercept it at that point and take it in for essentially a breakaway and score you know, I have a really hard time blaming Jamie Alexiak or any defender on a play like that where the puck's in the air and you just don't know how it's going to bounce. It's a really tough split second decision there. And, you know, maybe if you're being nitpicky, you'd, you'd say that you'd like him to just kind of slap it over to the boards off to the side really quick and, and not try and, you know, corral it and, and take it and move it past uh, the Stars player there. But it, it's such a quick decision. I you know, I don't know how in the moment you can expect him reliably to do something different.
0: Um, so I agree with you in the sense that I, I think Alexiak took a lot of flack for that one when he didn't need to, because when I watched it live in person, the person I was looking at the whole time and that I thought was kind of misplaying the situation was actually Will Borgen
1: Mm. Um, because he was going out wide there he 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 goes so wide. wide
0: yeah he's so wide and I don't understand why in that situation you're going wide because that puck's up in the air it's getting flipped up in the air if it doesn't take the weird bounce that it does where it almost goes backwards it's it's you know it's gonna pull your your partner Alexiak out of position over to the side like Borgen has to be in the middle there. That's like what you're supposed to do in that situation is to come more towards the middle. You can cover the middle. He'd be more in front of hints where he is at that point in time. Um, it was just one of those that when it happened, like I wasn't even looking at Alexiak the entire time as it was happening live. I was just like, where is Borgen going? Like he's just spectating off to the side of the play. And if Borgen had, had come over more towards the middle to support his partner, um, just in case something like that ended up happening, which is what you're supposed to do. Um, he would have been able to be there and Hintz is not able to kind of work inside on a, you know, I know he doesn't totally work inside, but he's going to have to really be forced to the outside. He's not going to be able to get the kind of grade A chance that he was able to get. And I think the way Grubauer was playing, Grubauer probably makes that save. So um, I was a little surprised that that didn't really get talked about, but I think that that was one of those things where it was, you know, for the Kraken in this game seven, whether it was on the four check, whether it was some of the defenders, there was lots of like little mistakes that kind of added up to the hole, And, and I felt like that was another one for this team. It was interesting because it's, it's one where I felt like, you know, a lot of Dallas fans were upset when I said, when I put out that tweet about how, like, you know, the Kraken weren't able to kind of live up to the level Grubauer was playing. And all these Dallas fans were like, Hey, Dallas just played a complete game, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know. I still think I'm walking away from this one, RJ, ultimately going, I think the Kraken dropped the ball.
1: Yeah, I, I, the more I think about it, I do agree with you. And that was a winnable game. It, it really was. As you mentioned, going into the third period, it was still a winnable game. And um, I, again, credit to the Stars defense for being able to shut things down in the third. Yep. But I just I don't think we saw the Kraken's best effort in, in a number of ways. And you talk about that goal that that goes in the Hintz goal. It's funny, we're breaking that play down and all the little bits of it when I think there were more egregious defensive zone Definitely. mistakes a lot more in the five to ten minutes before and after that play uh, that, that oh, probably yeah. deserved to cause goals against yeah. more than that. Did. The Sagan
0: breakaway, um, all that stuff.
1: Right. It, it all adds up, and I, I just think it, it, it wasn't the Kraken's best effort.
0: No, it wasn't. Um, but still, lots of good things about it. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is at the end there, and... The, the handshake line and really just the unique relationship that, um, well, you and I built doing the post game lives at, with Dallas Stars fans, but really just with the Kraken players and community, with the Dallas Stars players and community. RJ, when was the last time you saw a handshake line at the end of a seven game series where every single player on the ice was smiling and like happy to, to like shake each other's hands and
1: walk off and skate off the ice? I can't remember another time where I saw that much collective happiness from both sides of a handshake line in a playoff series. I, I can't remember anything quite like that. It was most noticeable on Philip Grubauer's face. I mean, yeah. he was kind of smiling ear to ear the whole time.
0: Yeah, and he had a lot to say to just about everybody on the Stars team. So I, I thought that was really, really um, cool to see. That was not something that I expected just because you don't expect to ever see that. But then as I thought about it, I mean, look, it was a seven-game series. It was a hard-fought series. Both teams played hard, as they should and would. You would expect them to. Um, but there was never anything, like, controversial. There was never a dirty play. There wasn't anything like we saw in the first round with the, the Makar situation yeah. or the on Cogliano. Like, there was none of that kind of stuff that would really build ill will uh, in this series against the Stars. And it was just kind of nice to see when I know some of that other stuff can get bigger headlines, Uh, around the league and and through the media and stuff that you know what you can play a really hard-fought series it goes seven all that stuff without players having to resort to being dirty and doing whatever possible and playing to the whistle and blah 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 and all that all that stupid stuff that that some of the guys out there say um I just thought it was nice that that you know this was a great example uh not just on the ice but also with all the fans and stuff off the ice that like Seems like most of Kraken Nation is just right on board now with the Stars because they don't want Vegas to win, and and the Stars right. fans were very gracious and everything too. Like it was just a really interesting and exciting positive thing.
1: And I think that's what you want it to be. I mean, I was kind of struck on the last post game with how many Kraken fans were saying, yeah, I don't usually root for a team that eliminates mine, but I'm yeah. going to make an exception here. I'm going to root for Dallas the rest of the way. And stars fans even saying that I just, you know, I came into this series as a stars fan, didn't think much about the Kraken, but I I saw so much from them that I'm going to make them my second team. Like they're, they're kind yeah. of my second team that I'm rooting for. Um, and I think that's really great. That's what you want out of a playoff series where it was still a hard fought series. It was still very entertaining. You yeah. know, there wasn't any less compete from either side there, um, but I just like to see that. Whereas you know, a lot of these other series can can get really nasty and and you know some some bad things can happen. I mean we you know we saw it in the Colorado series. Unfortunately, it kind of started off like this one. Yeah. You know, finished out I thought, but um, you know I'd, I'd rather have this series than than the previous one.
0: Oh, definitely, and it's kind of interesting. I wonder how much of that is because. On the Kraken side of things, we all had to go through that Colorado series. On the Dallas side of things, they all had to go through that Minnesota series. So for, for both of us as, as collectives to come together and just have it be a series without any, like, issues, we were all just like, oh, wow, that's what this could be. It could just be, like, enjoyable to watch hockey without any controversy or anything. I'll take it. Wow, that's incredible. Um, that's, that's some good stuff. Um, there was some some interesting stuff, uh, I you know, being there in person – um, for the game seven, the, the media availability stuff, obviously the day of game seven, the team feel, felt very positive. It was Jordan Eberle's 33rd birthday. That was you know, a big deal. It was clear. Everybody was going on. Um, welcome to the Black Parade was playing in the locker room when we went in there for the morning you know, after morning skate to, to talk to the players and everything. And the vibes were all really positive. and And that's something I'll always take away was, was just how into it everybody was. And Hackstall, I thought, said something interesting during his morning availability, which was, you know, it was only like a 12-minute morning skate that they did. And he was asked about, like, why was it so, so short? And he said, well, look, for one, this is our second game seven in two series. Fatigue is a factor. I'm not going to push the guys before this game kind of thing, which made a lot of sense. But it was also he wanted to give everybody time before a game seven, because everybody has their own individual ways of processing and preparing for something like that. And the way he, the way he talked about it, it made it sound like it, it came across very all knowing, like he could have told you right then and there, what everybody's process was, everybody's individual process was, and just the way he talked about the group, both before and after the game. Um, it was really impressive to me. And I guess I should, I should save some of this for tomorrow when we actually hear from Hackstall, but it was, it was, it was cool to me just how, um, how kind of fatherly leader leaderly, uh, it was, (laughs) you know, um, I, I guess fatherly is, is kind of the right word. Um, and, and it was, it was just really, that was really cool to see. And then just I'll reiterate for those who didn't, um, Didn't listen to the post game live when I was eventually able to join like an hour in, uh, but just the whole organization from ownership, uh, down through the front office, Ron Francis and everybody, um, once the game ended, or even as the game was ending, like we went down as the media before the game was over. There was about four minutes left. We got down there with about three minutes left. Um, Laiwiki came out. We were outside the locker room. Laiwiki came out and he, he like fist bumped us all, kind of thanked us for, a season, for the season and everything. I thought that was a very classy thing to do. And it was just very like, you know, he wasn't upset. Nobody was upset. It was just like, hey, this is, you know, it's, this is what happened, right? And it's 2 nothing. About a minute after that, Bjorkstrand scores. It's 2-1 flip switched in that dude's head he was the biggest fan of his team it was fantastic to see because we're all just standing around outside a locker room in the bowels of american Airlines center and i hope i'm allowed to tell this story i don't see why i wouldn't be um and we're all just watching off this this little tv it's like a little 24 inch tv uh, hanging up in the up up top and uh, he's just totally into it. And, and, and just throughout the whole thing, he's like, it's only one goal. We can do this. They can totally do this. They've got this. And then it was, you know, it gets down to that last like nine seconds or whatever. Right. And and uh, Dallas takes the the timeout and it's going to be an offensive zone faceoff. And he's just like, hey, offensive zone faceoff. We win the draw. We take a shot. We score like this is how it happens. Like this this team can totally do this. We can do this. And I just thought it was so cool to see someone in a position like he is in to be a fan of, of his team and to believe in his guys like that. Like, it was just like, he was just like, no, they could do this. They could totally do this. Like, why do you guys all still look solemn? Like, this is all fine now. <laughs> like, it was just, it was really cool. And I, and I think, you know, I couldn't help but wonder, I don't think that, you know, there's a lot of owners that would be that way. I don't think there's a lot of owners that would want to be standing there with us, for one. I think that's, that's a unique situation and thing. Um, but also just to believe and be that much of a fan of his team and, and all of that stuff. Um, I'm not just trying to say this for brownie points or access somewhere someday, everybody. I just, I really thought that that was a thing. And I think that that idea, it trickles down throughout the culture of that organization, the belief in the team, the belief in the guys, and just being a fan of them and the sport, I think is really, really important. And when you have the people at the very, very top Be like that I think it I think it really matters for something and that's why I wanted to share that
1: Yeah, I love that story and you know what anybody who who has met him who has seen him around uh, I don't think anyone would be surprised by that story whatsoever so you talk about are yeah, allowed to tell that story i i think it kind of fits uh you know with this character and everything that, that we've seen everything that i've seen certainly you know through this season so that is great to hear and um you know glad he had that belief kind of you know to the last seconds and i i know he's he's proud of the team everything they've accomplished on and off the ice and and we are too yeah um all right, so that's that's really it. I mean,
0: look, the, the bottom line was, uh, I think we, we talked about it during one of the post-game lives for that series, RJ. Dallas is more in their window than the Kraken are. Like, like the Kraken are still up and coming. The best is still ahead for them. Uh, so I don't think that there's anything wrong with them falling in seven to a Dallas Stars team that very much, you know, one of, the, one of their leaders, one of the reasons why so many Kraken fans are rooting for Dallas is a guy like Joe Pavelski who's like 75 years old right now right like we, who knows how much longer he's got how how much longer a lot of the guys Ryan Suter, I thought had a pretty decent series another older guy on that team so um i just think there's no shame in, in what happened uh in in falling to Dallas in 7 obviously you fall to a great coach who's perfect in game 7s moves to 7 and 0 oh. there's no shame in that either um all that good stuff so that's that's kind of it i mean is there anything else you want to talk about uh, for the Dallas series RJ
1: I mean, not really. I just, I think it was, you know, a, a good hard fought series. I mean, it's kind of the stuff we've said already. Yeah. You know, there, there's a part of me w- with certain elements of it that would maybe be more bothered if it was the Kraken's window and it was their time. Yes. And, and so, I you know, we could kind of break those things down, but I just think given the context of where this team is at right now, given the context of where Dallas is at right now, um, I think you have to look at it from the perspective of, of, being satisfied with where they got to and what this team is and being impressed that they were able to get kind of further than we thought next year the expectations are on them. And if this exact type of thing happens next year, I think you'll probably hear a very different tone from the two of us about how it all goes down. But for right now, so and I understand there's probably people thinking about it right now, you know, as you're listening to this, oh, you're you're being too soft on them, they messed this up, they messed this up, they could have given a better effort here. And and, you know, I think we can kind of acknowledge those little parts of it. Mm -hmm. But overall, given the context, I think this is kind of the takeaway that you have to have.
0: Yeah, no, next year you're right, right? We would we would be more on them for lacking the killer instinct. Or we'd be more on them for the lack of maybe a consistent effort through both series, if we're being honest, right, from game to game Um, and and those kinds of things. I think there's other stuff like, you know, next year you're probably not going to deal with the ridiculous schedule you got dealt with this year where you just played every other day except all for once, right? You only had one extra day off that entire playoff run. Uh, So 14 games in, what, 29 days? It's it's a lot of hockey. It's a lot of hockey, and it's playoff hockey. So there's definitely some stuff. And, you know, look, if you want that kind of stuff, just go and listen, listen to the post-game pressers from Hackstall. He was always very honest after the games in which he felt like his team didn't do enough to win the 50 50 battles or they weren't, they were a step behind. That's what he said after this game seven. He just felt like they were always kind of a step behind Dallas. They just weren't really up to that same level at the time. Um, I, I think he's a really good coach as far as being honest about the effort that his team puts out there on a night in, night out basis. When they put out a good effort, he says so. Uh, and it's, you know, it's obvious. <laughs> and, and then on the nights in which yeah. they maybe struggle with it, he says so. And, and I, and I do think, you know, that's something I very much respect about him. Um, and it's something that, you know, it does. It it makes it so that, you know, we don't always have to be as negative either, RJ, because if the coach is calling him out for not winning 50-50 battles, it kind of <laughs> makes it hard for us to then just jump on board with that, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, yeah. Well, yep, team, exactly. Team acknowledged it. All right. It is what it is. Um, all right. So let's go on to the, um, the 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 exit interviews and stuff with the players here, RJ. Um, because there's there's a lot of stuff and and we'll talk about all these players as we go through. I don't know how you want to do this. I'm going to kind of hand it over to you. Um,
1: you can you know go through. I don't know.
0: What are you what are you going to do? Right. For I us? mean, it,
1: I know as, as far as the format. I mean, here's how it works. By the way, just for these exit interviews, I, I've done this. This is my second season now doing this. So we kind of. You know, we get there and we, you know, we wait for the first player to go and, you know, it's, it's like a normal scrum, right, where you've got the, the media all around the player and we kind of take turns asking the questions and then, you know, we'll finish with that we'll get the next player in and it, it, then it starts to speed up. And it gets kind of rapid fire where as soon as you're done with one player, just trying to get a tweet or a quote out or, or trying to remember what they said, the next one's there and you've got to, you know, you've got to get ready for it. So anyway, that's kind of how it works uh, on our end. And so, I mean, like the way I've experienced it today was basically just like, all right, here's what Everly said. Here's what Begna said. So I could kind of go player by player. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about some general things, themes, I guess, because I think mm-hmm. there, there are some themes that came up, but it probably helped me memory wise just to go player by player. Sound yep. good?
0: Yep. Sounds perfect.
1: All right. So first uh, we got Jordan Everly, and um, I-, I thought Everly had, I mean, he always has really great, really insightful things to say. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting too, because I, you could tell in his voice that, and, and what he said that, you know, there was, it was bittersweet, right? He he felt proud of what the team had accomplished, of course. And, and um, you know, felt like it was the beginning of something really great. And is, he loves it here too. I mean, the all, you know share kind of the quote that i you know that i shared on twitter here where he, he thought that ron francis and the organization have done an exceptional job he said i'm excited to be here my wife and i love playing in seattle it's a great place to be when you wake up to the mountains and the lakes it's just been first class um, and so he really believes in the organization and, and also he mentioned that ron francis after last season kind of had a conversation with took some of the veterans in and had a conversation with them and made it clear to them look this is not going to be a rebuild you know, we're, we're going to be going for this thing. And I think that probably went a long way with the guys, especially if it's something that I really remembered and and, and thought to say um, today. And uh, because if you think back to last year's exit interviews too, like, look, the two of us, we weren't really sure kind of what direction it was all going in. Right. Uh, We didn't know that this was, it was going to be going that way. So it's interesting to know that, you know, Ron Francis kind of had that plan all along and communicated it to the players.
0: Yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, nice to hear. I mean, I could totally see it because like last year, I remember the, the thing that really stuck with me from it was just that, like, everybody was just like, this season, the re- end result was kind of unacceptable. Nobody wants a repeat of that. We need to be competing for a playoff spot next year. And, and you know, we, we were all trying to read stuff into it, like, you know, okay, season ticket holders are upset, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But it was also just like, everybody was like, okay. I mean, you know, we were talking after that last year, RJ, about stuff like, if the team starts off bad, how many weeks in before Hacksaw is fired? Right. Like yep. That was a legit thought in everybody's mind uh, after last year's uh, interviews. So to hear just how far apart the organization was con- compared to kind of where we all were on the outside, I think is it's important to remember that, you know, they have a lot more information than we do. <laughs> they, yep, they're not sure. going to disclose it with us um, because, you know, that obviously wouldn't make sense for them. Um, but it's it's one that, you know, even when things seem rough or things seem, you know, different than what we all perceive it to be, I just, I trust people like Ron Francis. I trust this this front office and stuff. And there's not a ton of teams that I would say that about, right? If anybody's listened to our red glares, you know, there's a ton of teams I would not be saying that about but with this team and i really do believe that i'm not just saying that cuz it's the team we cover all that stuff i just think for for what you just said for that quote from jordan eberly and then how this team performed this year and the way in which they went about it and the way in which those veteran players helped out everything i think you have to you have to just say you know what even when things look sketchy or scary or you're worried about something with the seattle kraken squad you just go look I, I'm going to trust their process. I got to believe in them. And and to me, hearing stuff like that is, is you know, that's what that gives me.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And it's that he's got that confidence there. And it's good to see that in, in kind of the big picture. But on the flip side of it, you know, you could tell he was kind of disappointed in, in how everything ended. You know, look, a veteran player like that, you don't know how much time you have left to go chase a Stanley Cup. And he he did emphasize how difficult it is to get to that spot. And, and just to even get back there, how much effort and how much work that takes. And uh, one line that stuck with me was that he said, there's plays that are going to haunt me all summer, mm-hmm. you know, that, that he's going to be thinking about. And that's something that, you know, it's hard to let go of as a player. And so, you know, that stuff is going to stick with him. And um, you got that sense too, as far as a general theme from a lot of the veteran guys, they they kind of repeated how difficult it is to get to that point and how much of an opportunity they had being there. Um, and, and as much as you want to, you um, you know, be happy that it's potentially the start of something really great. You know, it's a lot of work to get to that point.
0: It is. And one of the things that um, will stick with me for a really long time is after game seven, talking with Jordan Eberly and he was asked about the fact that, look, you're playing with two young guys on your line, Maddie and Ty Cartier, and just kind of what's the what's the message to them after this playoff experience, after going two rounds, two game sevens, all that kind of stuff. And his thing was just, Basically, like you know, enjoy it, but also understand that that's really hard to do, and you don't know if it'll ever happen again. And he talked about the fact that it took him seven years just to get to the playoffs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and here Ty Cartier <laughs> just walks in in the middle of the first round and is able to help him to a game seven in round two. So, um, it is one of those things. He has a very unique perspective. He has one of the more interesting histories in hockey. He just does as a player, Jordan Everly. And I remember we talked a little bit about this way back at the expansion draft, you know? And the idea of him coming in and what is he gonna be for this team. And we had preconceived notions about who he was just because of the journey that he had taken and the teams in which he had played on and the stories that were around those, particularly Edmonton. And um it's it's been it's been really, really cool to kind of get to know him and um to hear him share stuff like that uh is a lot more introspective and and the, that that unique journey that he's been on um it does feel like on this postseason run that the cracker were on a lot of that has been replaying in his mind too for sure yeah
1: I, I think I think so and I mean Jordan Everly like I, I knew about him of course as a hockey fan growing up I mean we we watched him play uh, but Uh, just I've gained so much respect for him over these last couple of years, kind of getting to see everything that he means to this team and this locker room. And I mean, I've been saying it for, you know, a while now that if they were to name a captain, you know, right away, he might be the guy. Yeah. Um, But uh, great stuff from Everly. One of the things I do want to get into that he was talking about, and this was a a theme with him and some other players too. He was the first to bring it up. But um, one thing I thought was interesting is that he brought it up. Uh, Justin Schultz brought it up and Yanni Gore brought it up all independently. They weren't asked about this separately or anything. And, um, I thought this was interesting. And, and Eberle actually said it was the biggest thing for him. Like as far as a takeaway for next season is that he said, we're not going to surprise teams anymore. And that's going to be a real change. You're going to get kind of tougher efforts from other, other teams. And, um, I think he even said that teams maybe at times took them lightly a little bit. This Mm -hmm. season, And that's just not going to be the case going forward. Uh, I I think it was it was Yanni probably who kind of pushed back. He said, well, I don't think the teams took us lightly, uh, but, you know, they (laughs) um, you know, you're going to get everyone's best effort. And I mean, Yanni knows what he's talking about. He played on on the cup winner Tampa, you know, times two where, you know, you've got that target on your back. And I I asked uh, Justin Schultz because I was kind of curious about like what that actually looks like when you are the team that everyone is okay we're trying to beat them now you know in a game to have that target on your back and he kind of i think he had a little difficulty explaining it's like well it's not really like it i guess doesn't feel like too different in a game but just generally you're getting everyone's best effort like they're not necessarily you know targeting you kind of specifically as a team but like you just see a lot less of their off nights kind of type, you Mm -hmm. know that type of thing um but he did say that he thinks that'll be good for the team. He's like, I think it's it's good to have that target on your back.
0: I, I think it is too, because it helps get you ready for postseason, right? And and when it's like, hey, we d- you do have to grind through it. And, and you are getting the best effort of the people opposite you. And yeah, I'm sure, you know... I don't know. I always kind of, unlike Yanni Gord, I kind of push back to this notion that teams take certain games off or whatever. I think what happens is if you're looking at you have two games on back to back nights, you maybe pick one of those as the one in which it's like, (laughs) let's really game plan for that one and the other one, we'll just kind of roll in there and see what happens. I'm sure teams do that just because you kind of have to from a logistics standpoint, um, strategy wise. But I'm with Yanni Gord for the most part on that. I think the big thing is going to be. And I really feel like throughout the season teams started to take them more and more seriously. And I think that's partly why we saw the team struggle post All Star Break was that teams were ramping up. Because I think over the All Star Break coaching staffs, the players are all off doing whatever. They're either suffering through an ESPN all star break uh, you know, situation wherever the all star is all star game is, or they're off vacationing. But you know the coaching staffs Are all at home, but they're also still all game planning things, and they're looking at stuff. And you know, especially like the teams in the division were like, okay, the Kraken are for real now. We're in a dogfight. Everybody was still very much trying to get that top seed in division, top seed in the West. And you know teams like Vegas, Edmonton, Los Angeles, they were like, okay... This Kraken squad is not the team that we thought they were. We need to make sure we maximize these games against them. It's going to be tougher. Let's make sure we can kind of bury them if we can and and try to keep this just a three-headed race instead of four. And and I think you're going to start seeing that with all the Western Conference teams next year. And uh, yeah, the Eastern Conference teams, maybe when you roll into a Boston and Boston's rolling, they're not going to just assume they're going to keep rolling. They're going to be like, no, this is a serious squad coming in. We got to step up and, and maybe you don't see the crack, and go in there and shut them out to give them their first regulation <laughs> loss at home. I don't know. Uh, but it's it is an interesting concept to think about, but it's definitely a good one. It's it's one in which, yes, this is the progression for a team as it enters its cup competitive window is it's got to it's got to get there first does what it does and then after that the expectations get reset continually higher and higher and you you know you either live up to them or you become the edmonton oilers
1: (laughs) way to close that out that that's uh that's really good that let's let's hope not here yes um so um, moving on from uh, Jordan Everly to Jacob Meghna. So we got him next and I mean, not a ton on him. Cause I mean, let, let's be honest. He didn't play a whole lot after the trade deadline. And, and, you know, he did say it was kind of a big adjustment for him to be playing so much in San Jose. And then of course be out of the lineup uh, once he got here in, in Seattle. But I, I think he did have this gratitude about him and it's great. He said, every day you play in the NHL is a blessing and I, I don't take it for granted. And so, you know, I, I, think he had the right attitude about it too. He didn't seem frustrated. He didn't seem bothered by it and and just kind of reiterated that, you know, his goal for next season is just to come in, earn a lineup, uh, earn a roster spot in the lineup, uh, next year and, and just try and get into some games.
0: Yeah. And I think we'll talk more about, um, the, the roster moves in the the offseason stuff tomorrow, just talking and hearing from, you know, Ron Francis and stuff. I think that was more of our plan. But um, Jacob Beng is going to be one of those guys that I, I think, you know, he's got a good shot at, at being in that situation, right? With a, with a Susie potentially probably leaving. I think you and I both think that's most likely going to be the case there. Um, there's going to be an open spot. And yeah, Riker Evans has looked fantastic at the AHL level. Is the defense there yet? I don't know. We'll probably see come a training camp, how the team feels about that, really what Hackstall feels about it. Um, but I think Meghna's going to have a really good chance at being able to um, you know, crack the lineup and see some regular playing time.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, um, you know, that that spot's kind of there for me. He is under contract for another year. It's at a really good number as well. I think he's definitely uh in their plans. He did say they haven't had any team meetings yet, as or like, you know, the exit interview meetings kind yeah. of with the staff and everything, as far as a message to him. Um, but I think you know, he's certainly in their plans. And the other thing that he added was um how welcoming the whole group was when he got there at the trade deadline and and um just just how good of an environment it was to to get thrown into and that everyone was really nice and, and kind of embraced him with open arms and he just kind of felt like part of the group which look I, being around this team being around that locker room I'm not surprised at all yeah but it was still good to hear him say it
0: yep and uh, I'm not surprised by it and I thought it was really interesting that all around the game seven both before and after the fact it was something that was talked about by other media members it was something that was talked about by Dave Hackstall. just what a great, solid group this was. The players talking about how close they all are, how how the whole playoff experience has brought them together even more, all that kind of stuff. And it got me thinking, RJ. I don't remember a ton of that last year. Granted, they were all trying to get to know each other still, and they were just kind of thrown into the season. But it still felt like this year it was even more so of a – the new additions were thrown in, but it felt like this year the identity of the team as a group, as, as – you know friends brothers in arms whatever it is you want to call them a team really kind of solidified and I can't help but think that what was the difference between last year and this year it's you know future captain Matty Beniers being there
1: interesting I mean I, I don't know if I would you know go with Beniers as kind of like the main catalyst for all of that he, just, he was the um, only
0: one trying to get the text chain going
1: that's true that's the Mario, true. The Mario Kart
0: tournaments right mm-hmm. like I'm just saying Maddie Beniers captain yeah no i used I, to it everyone. i
1: <laughs> i don't think you know that, that it was nothing as far as it impact yeah. i mean i i think he definitely played a part but i think the biggest thing and you, you hear the players talk about it too was just the fact that like last year you couldn't even do team building stuff or bonding stuff because of COVID. Like there were just so many restrictions they had to deal with. And I think a couple guys just mentioned uh, the, um, the team building thing they did kind of right before the start of the regular season in September and um, going out on a big like team building retreat and how that kind of brought everyone closer together. And it was just things you couldn't do last year because of COVID.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that's a lot of it. I know the veteran guys, Yanni Gore, Jordan Everly, Adam Larson, like they've all been talked about in that way too. Uh, I was just, you know, pushing my thing need the need the engagement gotta lay the
1: groundwork i okay there you go the
0: engagement everybody's gotta
1: come at me for the maddie for for captain thing all right so that was that was megna who we got next Uh, Next, we got Justin Schultz, and it was interesting because we've talked about maybe Seattle being a more attractive free agent destination. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was someone who signed here last season as a free agent when, uh, you know, a lot of the great things about Seattle still existed, but the winning certainly wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, he had great things to say about it, uh, about here. He said, we have the best arena in the league. We have the best fans in the league. It's a pretty attractive place to come play, especially when we're winning. So I I think, you know, that kind of says it all as as far as the case to come join the Kraken if you're a free agent, but it certainly sounds like he was happy, you know, with his decision.
0: I know. Again, we're going to talk about it tomorrow, but it's going to be interesting because Kraken are going to have cap space. They're an attractive squad to be joining, a team on the up and up. Lots of good benefits all around. Income tax thing helps. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's... It's going to be one, like, I mean, we're already are going to have to have the conversation about, like, there's too many people that everyone in the community wants to bring back. There's just not going to be enough spots, especially with, like, a Burakovsky coming back and being healthy, a Shane Wright being added to the mix, trying to get a Riker Evans, maybe a Cole Lynn to come up from Coachella Valley. There's going to be some, there is going to be changes this offseason. It's going to be very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, it is it is still always nice to hear that the, that the team is one in which, you know, people are going to want to join. And that it is a positive environment to play in. I think that that's a really important thing. And I think it's always important because, you know, one of the things that he mentions is, is the, the arena and the atmosphere around that and the, the fans and all that stuff. And that is the one thing that we all can control. It's the only thing we can all can control. We can't control how much money the team is going to spend. We can't control who they're going to spend it on. But we can control the fact that the players feel welcome, they feel supported, and that the arena is loud when it needs to be loud. And it's really awesome that the team is so good about acknowledging that, and and is appreciative of it. It feels good.
1: Yeah, it really does. The other interesting I, I, thing I thought Schultz said, uh, where earlier in the in the media availability, he kind of referenced like you know, something special about the group. He said, we kind of play like we're in junior, like when we were kids. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And our, our friend, Kate Shefty, kind of asked him to clarify that. And um, he said that basically you're not looking at all the kind of distractions elsewhere. He said, no one's looking at social media or listening to the experts saying we're not going to win in the first round or not going to make the playoffs. We just go out and have fun. And I know it's, you know, can be a bit of a cliche where, you know, the coaches, players talk about, oh, we don't listen to anyone outside. You know, we just have belief in this room. But it seems like that really is the case. They don't go reading this stuff. No. You know, for people saying they can't make it.
0: No, it's because they're too busy playing Mario Kart. <laughs> Clearly. Video games are positive. What can I say, everybody? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's the youthful exuberance of Captain Maddie Beneers.
1: Moving on. There we go. <laughs> find a way to fit that as the answer to everything that we bring up here. Um, you know be better than to
0: actually challenge me to do that because I will find a way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. I yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how you can do it for these these future ones here. All right. So that was that was Justin Schultz. Next we got Carson Susie. Now, Susie, of course, is a, a pending unrestricted free agent. Uh, his contract's up. I, I know you and I Probably, you know, if we had to put money out, we probably say he won't be back next season mm-hmm. um but you know he he did say he said i love this group we battled for 2 years together and we're growing yep. something here so obviously i'd love to stay uh you know he also said it's it, he knows it's a business and and mm-hmm. you know that's a lot of it's not in his hands you know at that point it's kind of what the team thinks and you know what what offers he gets so he knows that it's out of his hands but I, he he did definitely say that he loved uh you know loved the time here and he would love to stay so that was good to see and he he was in good spirits as well
0: yeah and still rocking the stash looked fantastic
1: Yes, he had the mustache there. I know uh, Mike Benton asked him, uh, you know, if he'd gotten any compliments on the mustache, and he's like, "Well, I don't know if they're compliments. People are more just so much as just like uh, people like, oh, he went with the mustache. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it looks. I think it looks great. Um, yeah, and let's be let's be clear, right? Like, it's not like we're trying to run Carson Sousi out of town or anything. It's strictly he's going to be a UFA in on a in a defensive market that doesn't have a ton of options. in a position that is highly sought after, and he's going to be in line for a big payday. And the bottom line is, you look at where he fits in on the Kraken, it would be back on the third pairing. Are you going to spend, what, four and a half, five million dollars on a third pairing defenseman? No, I mean, just teams, no team is going to do that, but he can go and get more playing time somewhere else, get more money somewhere else. I will never fault a guy for taking that opportunity you know what i mean for for going and se- securing you know the the financial interests of his family as well as the increased playing time try to prove more of yourself than you
1: can in the current spot i i get it yeah, you got to secure the bag. You got to do what's best for you. Um, and we'll see how it plays out. i did ha- I did get the chance to ask him if uh, his buddy Will Borgen may have uh, kind of tried to to convince him to stay or been lobbying for him to stay. And he said, well, I don't know if, you know, has gone that far as to lobby me to stay. Um, but uh, I thought that was kind of funny that uh, you know he's he's been thinking about it.
0: So that's him telling Borgen to sweeten the pot.
1: Yes, there you go. Go gotta, Maybe- gotta play hardball. Maybe Susie wants to room with Maddie. <laughs> mm, that's a big bargaining chip there i guess i we will we will get to the roommate stuff later oh um, yes i know we're going to do it a whole stuff, lot yeah. to up the value of it uh <laughs> i will say that much um and then uh yeah so that was carson susie um you uh, did get a question about like if he's going to take some time to see jagger Furcus kind of work from him with him both of them from Irma, alberta Just
0: forever linked those guys
1: they really are. They, re- but hey, it's it's a small town. They all know yeah. each other, and I, I, you know, I talked with with Jagger Ferkus's mom and his his aunt uh, at training camp, and like you oh, know, oh, they oh. they know the Susies very well. They're very good friends. Uh, you know, that's kind of how it is. And and uh, Carson did say that he will take you know a couple weeks or so. He won't have a ton of time, but it will take a couple weeks to kind of train with Jagger and and do their normal stuff.
0: That's good to hear.
1: <laughs> all right. So that was Carson Susie next we got uh brandon tanev so uh that's that's always a fun one um and i liked the confidence and i liked the swagger from brandon Tanev, and i mean like what else is new right but um the quote that kind of stood out for me is he said you know last year was very difficult for a lot of us and i think we all took that personally and wanted to come back this year and have a great season which we did (laughs) i like he closed out which we did yeah Um, i like that so yeah, so the confidence was there, and I, I think he was just kind of you know proud of the team's accomplishments, but also you know wanted to to you know emphasize, look, we we came back better, and we we did take it personally,
0: right? And you know what, he came back too, right? Like it's easy to forget also just him coming back from that significant injury and everything as well, uh, and him to be able to return to form and and be that um, fan favorite personality, both off the ice but also on the ice with the way he plays.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and it was something, too, talking about himself and the recovery and what this summer is going to mean to him, too. He seemed really eager to have the opportunity to to get a normal off-season's worth of training regimen in, uh, whereas last season he said it was a lot more knee-focused. Uh, and now he can kind of focus on, on everything else, but uh, he seemed proud of his own recovery as well. Yeah, he should be. Good to hear yep he rocking the v-neck a little bit of chest hair showing some shorter shorts too uh had the outfit on point
0: if you're a hockey player like why you're you're an nhl hockey player too right like because like i could be a hockey player i'm not gonna have legs like they they do why don't they all wear super short shorts like like brad marshan they should he always wears short super short shorts he's showing off those insane leg muscles
1: i don't know why they all don't yeah they they really should i mean you know Tanev's doing it right um so next is Vince Dunn. And I thought this was really interesting because he is kind of the key to a lot of the Kraken's offseason plans. Yeah. You know, the biggest domino there for, for Ron Francis and, and what's going to happen there. And of course, he was asked about his contract. And, uh, you know, he said he hopes whatever contract gets worked out is in both his and the team's favor. So looking for a fair deal, but he, he did say, you know, how much he wants to continue to play for this team. Here's the quote. I want nothing, but to continue to wear this Jersey for many years to come, I'm all in and I love this organization. And, and you could see it in how he talked about the team and, and everything that they've done and the opportunity that they've given him, uh, you know, not just as a person, but as a player too, yeah. on the ice, to, to grow and kind of become the best version of what he can be
0: yeah I mean the the cynic in me wants to say what an RFA answer but the re- I know, right <laughs> but the you know I, I know it's not just that it's it's true though right like he's getting to be a first pairing defenseman he was able to be put into a situation where he could go out there and have the year that he did where he scored 64 points. He had 14 goals like that's a big year and he was able to prove that he was you know that guy uh, that I'm sure he's always felt like he could be throughout his career, and he wasn't really going to get the chance to be in St. Louis just because of how many players they had there, Uh, and it was always going to be hard to to be able to show that, so um, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. I have a unique take on maybe how the Kraken should deal with the Vince Dunn situation. We'll talk about it on tomorrow's episode. Um, yeah, stay tuned, everyone. It's
1: going to be some very interesting stuff tomorrow.
0: It's certainly going to get people talking. I'll give you that. I'm not just doing it to get people talking either. Like, I, I legit think that it might be a, a direction for the Kraken to go in. But um, I, I do think that he, he had a fantastic season. The, the postseason performance, it was what it was, and it wasn't great. Um, I think that that's something that the Kraken are going to have to to figure out as they go through negotiations with him. But, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, certainly different numbers were starting to get thrown around today, even online. That seemed a little bit more palatable uh, than before.
1: Yeah, and maybe Dunn wasn't doing a whole lot to help himself there because he was asked about his own performance, his own growth this season. And he just described it as fine. <laughs> like, oh, my wow. season I thought was was fine, you know. How like, hockey player I, I... of him. <laughs> i know right but uh, it was a very hockey player so i mean you go back and watch the video the demeanor and everything's so, yeah it, and was, his, it was fine and his i age... mean allison was even ribbing him about it a little bit like really just fine yeah. that's how you're gonna describe the season you had yeah
0: you, you tell me his agent didn't come like diving in and shuffle him away really <laughs> quick like
1: like what are you doing we're both gonna get paid <laughs> <laughs> but you know done I, I will say this about him he is very much a team first guy yeah and and he was focused more and he's like look our team expectations was to make the playoffs and, and we accomplished that personally he's like i didn't really have any personal expectations or any any personal goals for myself it's just he's that kind of team oriented in, in how he thinks about it yeah um so you know I, I think i think he i hope he knows that he had a very good season <laughs> um uh but uh, maybe not for went. the contract purposes, but yeah, I'm sure he knows. And then one last thing on, on Don Dylan, I know you'll appreciate this. Yeah. He had great words to say, but he spoke more highly of him than himself about Adam Larson you knew this was coming. Mm-hmm. Here's the quote. He's a big piece of this team. I think every team has a little bit of a sleeper that doesn't really make headlines. You know, mm-hmm. he's my D partner. He's been a great friend of mine, a great partner to have all year. And he's given me every opportunity for success. I mean, he just kind of went on and on to about Larson and, and, and how they're good for each other. He said they, they're both um, you know, they, they both have high expectations of each other and they're both really hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. And that tends to bring the best out of both of them. And you kind of see that in the room as well, Um, you know, with the two of them really just kind of pushing each other to be better and better uh, because they both have such high standards.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's a really positive thing. And I think it is positive when you are someone who's tough on themselves to have somebody who understands that because they are the same way, but also is able to look at you from an outsider's perspective and, you know, pull you up right in those situations and and when you trust that person when you respect that person you're able to listen to them and you are able to kind of find your way out of those dark places after a rough game or a rough situation or anything like that and so um, I can totally see them having that relationship I think that's a really important relationship to have for defensive partners I think that's probably the ideal relationship that you could you could have, and we obviously saw it on the ice this year. Those two guys were phenomenal. I mean, never once did it feel like they were in any threat of being broken up by Dave Haxtell. You know, just no matter what was happening, those guys were going to be together, and they were going to be the top unit for this team. And so, um, yeah, it's just it's it's good to hear because I, I do think that Adam Larson is that
1: guy, and uh, it's it's nice when everybody gets to hear it. Yeah, definitely. And, and Vince Dunn will certainly give him credit, even if he won't give himself credit. Um, so good to see that. Mm-hmm. So moving on from Vince Dunn uh, to another former St. Louis Blue uh, is Jaden Schwartz. And I mean, the, the main thing I took away from Schwartz's media availability was kind of talking about his health. And of course, yeah. that was a big theme for him this season. Um, he said he's in a lot better place, you know, going into this offseason than he was at this time last year. Because if you remember the, the uh, exit interviews last year, he said, you know, he really yeah. wasn't certain about where his health was at. And he's, like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to be at the start of next season. Um, so he says he, it's an improvement now, but he did call it a work in progress. He says he still has kind of more work to do there uh, on getting his health absolutely right. And I mean, you know, not, not a huge surprise to us. I, you know, we know yeah. um, he's kind of had to do the tracksuit regimen. He's got that skin condition and, and it's been, it's been kind of rough for him there, but um, it's good to see that he's improved at least
0: yeah and it's one where like this was always the concern with him it's it's always been you know can he be healthy? It's something he struggled with throughout his career it's a really unfortunate thing um but the the amazing thing about him is just how consistent he is from a from a production standpoint no matter how many games he's playing he's giving you that same level of production it's a good level of production it's a consistent level of production you know what he's gonna do when he's on the ice and I thought he did it you know faced with an injury situation that is, you know, not super common, it's different than just, say, having a soft tissue injury or a broken leg or something like that, right? When when the pads are literally causing this issue for you and you're not able to practice. For him to continue with that same level of play that we saw from him last year that he had in St. Louis, I mean, you just go look at his stats, everybody, and you just, like, you know... You, you, you multiply the point totals by whatever you need to to make the seasons all match for the games played. And it's all like the same. He's always within like 10 points of himself, like his entire career. It's so impressive. Uh, and then also the way he was ele- able to elevate for the postseason as well, 10 points through the 14 games, five goals. I think that was really important, too. So um, Jaden Schwartz, I was really happy for him that he was... You know, otherwise relatively able to stay healthy, play 71 games this year. That was big number for him. I'm really yeah. happy about that. And I'm happy that he was able to find some success. He was able to 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 be kind of locked down on that second line with uh, Alexander Wenberg. That was, again, an issue that was there last year, was where does he fit in? Where is he going? He's bouncing all over. So for him to have kind of found a spot and played a lot of games, I was really happy for him. It's just unfortunate that, you know, it's it, it cost him practice time.
1: Right. And um Schwartz, I mean, he was one of those few guys we talked about getting inside in that Dallas series in yeah. the challenge. He's one of the few guys who was able to consistently do that throughout the playoffs uh for the Kraken. And, and as we'll get to a little bit later, the guys who played with him really enjoyed playing with him. Um, so that's Jaden Schwartz. Uh next we had Alex Wenberg. And um, I mean, Wenberg, his hair was a little uh a little crazy today. Whoa. Um, he got, Got a, uh, a like a Conan O'Brien reference. Someone mentioned that was, you know, had oh, some height to it. Had some lift. But, all um,
0: right.
1: Yeah. But uh, I guess my takeaway from from Wenberg and, um, you know, he talked about how great the fans are. He talked about, you know, how wonderful it is in Seattle. But I asked him, too, if there was any moment that was kind of a highlight of the season for him, something that stood out for him. And I asked this of a few different players. And you know what? Everybody I asked had the same answer as far as what their highlight of the season was. Care to guess what it was, Dylan?
0: Um, I mean... It was a game. Oh, okay. It was a game? Uh, was it yeah. the Boston game?
1: Nope, not the Boston game.
0: Playoffs, if that helps you.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, you know, game seven over Colorado? Yep, that's what it was. Game seven over Colorado. I mean, I think a lot of the guys felt like that was kind of that... You know, a highlight for them that that achievement of defeating the defending champs and kind of going on to the next round. And a lot of the guys felt that they had you know one of their better games, even though they kind of played the rope a dope with them yeah. in the beginning. But they they did really show some pride about that game, and and Wenberg was certainly a big part of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it's a big you, important game. Like I, I get it. Yeah. Do you disagree? I think it's a little basic, so I'm a little upset with everybody oh, okay. for that. Oh, you okay. know th- what was our biggest game? It was the one in which we defeated the defending Stanley Cup champions and won the first playoff series in franchise history. It's like, well, yeah, okay. The fact <laughs> that I guessed it within two guesses is a problem, in my opinion. I want it to be like, oh, it was this game in the middle of November that nobody remembers, but it was such a dog fight between us, and the battle on the ice was so intense. The Penguins want- game. Yeah, you it was know, a watershed moment. Exactly. I I want I want
1: one of those old timey hockey stories. Sorry. All right. Well, sorry to disappoint there. Um, so I, I, one thing I know will not be disappointing uh, is moving on to Morgan geeky. Yeah. Morgan geeky was next. And I mean, you know, he is always, always a good interview uh, and had lots of great stuff to say. Um, I mean, I'll start with kind of relating it back to, to Schwartz and Wenberg, who we just talked about, because he was asked about playing on the wing with those guys during the playoffs and kind of being elevated to that spot in that role. And um, he, he, uh reiterated like he, I, i've never played wing before he's like mm-hmm. never in my hockey career have i played wing and uh you know it was an interesting adjustment and and i think he liked some aspects of it but it was kind of funny you know in his like dry way of talking how he usually says he's like well i'd definitely be open to playing wings some more if i can keep playing with those guys <laughs> so uh letting the coaching staff know yeah um it's, an, it's important but morgan geeky yeah he was uh you know he was his his normal self he was asked about um you know being on baby duty now and he said definitely Mm -hmm. you know that's kind of what it's time for he's like i try and do my best but uh, you know it's hard to when you're playing and um about the t-birds too are you going to go to some of those games he said he watched the game last night on tv because of course his brother connor uh playing for the winnipeg ice against the t-birds and geeky's Mm -hmm. like yeah i don't know if uh I don't know if I'd be too well received there, you know, in Seattle since I used to play for Tri City. I mean, you can tell the Thunderbirds fans uh, really left a lasting impression on him. Um, he was talking about Kraken fans and how great they, yeah, seriously. He was talking about Kraken fans and how great they've been this season. I uh, kind of toward the end of his interview, and um, you know, he's like, they've been awesome. You know, you you see the energy from them. He's like, I'd say they're probably not as mean as the fans in Kent, <laughs> but like. <laughs> but I do play for Seattle now. So yeah, that's kind of how he ended it, but uh, definitely remembers that stuff. Um, let's see what else. Okay. Allison, this was great. She asked him about, uh, his teammates chirping skills and you know, he's mm-hmm. always going to give a good answer on something like that. So few bullet points here, right? Cause he's like, Oh, well, let's see, like, who do you want? Um, said Tanev straight to the point. Uh, Borgen's a little more lighthearted, veneers, a little more lighthearted. Yeah. Uh, He said, uh, you know, it's funny whenever Tolvi tries to do it because of his accent or whatever. He said, actually, the Europeans think they're funnier than they are because of their accents. They think they're just, like, really funny when they're not always. He's like, you know what? They actually are really funny. They're hilarious. So uh, there's that. And he did add that Adam Larson is the funniest guy in the room. So there you go, Dylan. I'm sure you're not surprised.
0: I'm telling you, Adam Larson, I just imagine it being like a three-camera sitcom in there where it's like, like stuff happens and then it like cuts to Adam Larson and he just like just makes like the same face as he always has but it's just like the punchline, and everybody laughs yes like I just imagine that's what it's got to be like and don't we all want it to just be
1: that way I know it'd be great need to get more cameras in there um and I I've seen moments certainly like that (laughs) Yeah. Uh, from Adam Larson, and and we got Adam Larson actually right after that, and and so Allison was like, "Hey, Morgan, just said you're the funniest guy on the team. You know, what do you think about that?" And just no comment.
0: <laughs> oh, dude, you got that's the per, that's the one time you would lean into it, and you say, "Of course, just deadpan, <laughs> of course, yeah, just,
1: of course." Uh, that that would, that would be pretty great. Um, so for Adam Larson, uh, you know, kind of moving on to him. First of all, he was rocking a Sonic's hat that was awesome
0: that was really major
1: major points for that um you know that's great and i mean you know it was kind of the the normal answers you know from lars and like again didn't break from that whole monotone thing but it was it was great um i I asked him about because i mean look he's the team's only like iron man over the full first two seasons he's played every game in franchise history and i know that you know, you put a lot of work in during the season, but there's a lot that goes in during the off season that Mm -hmm. fans maybe don't get to see. And so I was asking him kind of like what work goes into that from now to September that allows you to play all those games. Yeah. The look that he gave me for a sec. He's like, well, first you take, you have a rest, you take a rest. (laughs) And then he's like, but yeah, and then you get back to work and you know, there's a lot of stuff in the gym and everything, but he made an interesting comment. Uh, he said, the older I get the less time I can take off. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you know, kind of the and, and he didn't say the word afford, but it kind of sounded to me like my, the way I interpreted it was like the less time I could afford to take off. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of need to put more work in the older you get and, and you can't really take as long of a break. And so I think that's just kind of an interesting dynamic for a player, you know, who's uh, I mean, he's not that old, but still it's, you know, on, uh, you know, he's over 30.
0: I was going to say, according to your age models, RJ, I mean, he's fallen off a cliff. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's got one foot in the grave already. He's 30. <laughs> Um, but he I, doesn't I, age like the rest of them do. No. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, uh, no, I totally get it. I, I think that makes a lot of sense and it's just, it's the state of, of current athletics, right? I mean, everybody's kind of in that boat and I think it's different for young guys like a Maddie where it's like, you know, go and try to add weight and do all that other stuff. Whereas with an older player, it's, you know, let me take care of my joints and let me make sure that I can, you know, maintain stuff and, um, keep keep things going when the metabolism starts slowing down. I turned 29 later this month. I, I can feel that. I can't imagine trying to be a professional athlete and, and trying to, to monitor as your body and stuff changes as you get a little older. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. And um, it's interesting, too, RJ. I mean, we don't know what would happen if he was to miss a game. For all we know, he misses one game, the franchise just folds. Like, we don't know that that wouldn't happen.
1: Yeah, they could completely fall apart. We just don't know. So yeah. very important. Gets that sucked into
0: time. a sinkhole or something. We have no idea.
1: Yeah. I think I think that's probably your leading theory is as to what would happen. The whole franchise would fold. It would be nothing without Adam Larson. But you know what? We don't know that that's not the case.
0: Yeah. Prove
1: me wrong, somebody. Yeah. And then the last thing on Adam Larson too, and this was Part of that general theme I was talking about earlier, but of all the players, I think he may have had kind of the most appreciation for just how hard it was to get to that point of the second round. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think he felt a lot of the disappointment of not going further, given all the work that he and and a lot of the guys put in. And I mean, you know, it's hard to say who put in more work than he did, given how he played every game and was was playing some of the top minutes. And I, I think he just had this real appreciation for the opportunity to get to the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. And you know, the effort that he had in the playoffs too, right? That effort
0: in game five in Dallas, like he was the guy out there trying to will that team to a victory. Um, you felt that from him. And uh, it's interesting. Not only does he play every game, RJ, he scores eight goals a year. So everybody go ahead and book that feel safe about that. You could just mark it in going to get eight goals next year. It's what he does.
1: There you go. Put some money down on it. Uh, it's a sure thing. Um so that's Adam Larson On to another blue liner, Will Borgen. Um, and I really enjoyed the, I always enjoy the interviews with Will Borgen. Again, yeah. he's not the most talkative guy, but if you can kind of get him to open up, uh, it, it's really great. And, um, uh, so <laughs> this was probably my, my favorite question. I just thought of it as we were going with the, with the presser, but, um, I want to kind of, you know, get into that roommate relationship between him and Maddie Veneers. So I think I caught him off guard a little bit with the delivery, but I'm like, oh, you know, we, we've heard so much about how Maddie Veneers has grown as a player throughout the course of this year. How has he grown as a roommate? And he uh, got got some laughs there and he's like, oh, geez, uh, not much. Uh, <laughs> and then he, he did go on to talk about, you know, how um, Maddie he's a good roommate and um you know how he's I think he's ended it with like I, he's learning every day you know he's, he's learning stuff every day you know learn how to be a pro and I, I guess I'm learning every day too um so that <laughs> they just sound like
0: those those guys you know in college yep. that are just like mm-hmm. those guys like they're not like the chads per se but they're just like the lovable guys that just don't know anything you know about living yep. on their own for the first time or whatever that's just how they come across
1: Yep, yeah, just buy a pallet of Gatorade and some yep. some cup noodles, and you're good. Like
0: I think it was Greg Wachinski from ESPN that asked during the the game seven after the morning skate, asked Maddie about you know being roommates with him, and you know if there was like a chore, you know you know who's who's responsible for what yeah, chores, yeah. who does the dishes or whatever, and he was just like, we don't really like do dishes. <laughs> He was just like, like, he was just <laughs> like, taking off. Like off guard. He's like, we, we just don't really like have, uh, like we take out the trash. But like, he's like dishes, like we just don't kind of like make or do dishes. Like, and I'm just like, no, because they're professional athletes for one. So their metabolisms are crazy. I'm like, they're like the guys that just take a box of cereal. They pour the milk into the box of cereal and then they eat the whole thing out of the cardboard box. A soggy, leaky cardboard box. That's what those guys are doing.
1: Uh, I could totally see that. And and for a second, we're going to skip ahead to Maddie Beneers just to get to his response. Because I, I did ask him the same question about Will. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he paused for a second. He's like, oh, oh my tongue. Uh, you know, I can't answer. <laughs> but he... Hey, being future captain material, you know, yep. he paused for a second. He gave a very diplomatic answer about how how great of a roommate that, that Will Borgen is, uh, saying that he kind of helps him, you know, remember stuff sometimes and, you know, remember to be on time sometimes to places. And he's like, look, I mean, I, I wouldn't be totally lost without him, but, uh, you know, it is really helpful to have him around. You know, we have a lot of fun together. So there there's the roommate dynamic. If you want to see the video of both answers, it's on Twitter. Uh, I, I just cut it together and put it up. But uh, I I really enjoyed that. Uh, Bless them both. That's all I can say. Yes bless them both uh one more question i wanted to get into will borgen too because i mean watching him during the playoffs like the physicality uh and all of that and thinking of his game i just felt like okay you know this guy is built for the playoffs right Mm -hmm. uh with that strength with with the physicality in his game and so i asked him like is you know do you kind of agree with that given how you play and he's you know are you built for the playoffs and he's like well i mean just like hockey in general right (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a it's a physical game um so I kind of like that answer from him. And yeah, he doesn't really, he's like, I don't really, you know, change how I play. I just, I, I kind of am that physical all the time, uh, but you know, the playoffs, it does ramp up a little bit. So he he did address that.
0: I was going to say, cause that was one of your big things going into the playoffs was, was like, did we you were, not see it from him? We were going to see that from him. And I feel like, I felt like he played just the way he played in the regular season. Like I, I totally feel what he's saying there. I like, okay. I, I don't know. I, I, I notice it mo- much more with the forwards. Right. Like with from like an Ellie Tolvanen or Ryan Donato, where it's just like they step up physically, where it's like every single time on the forecheck, they're finishing a hit. I think with defensemen, it's a little tougher because it's much more subjective based on what the play is going on. Right. Like you can't you're not always in a position to be super physical.
1: Right, but also just kind of some of the behind the play stuff, the sneaky little things that add bumps and bruises. Like, you know, I could go over the little video clips and stuff that a lot of the angry Colorado fans were sharing, you know, things like that. I was going to say, I'm looking
0: at the stats. He was far more physical in the Colorado series than the Dallas series.
1: I'll give you that. I think that's true.
0: I'm looking at his hit numbers. I mean, a couple goose eggs, one, two, um, in the Dallas
1: series. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe he's uh, better suited for more of a hate-filled series. Yes. Uh, I think he's someone certainly you want to have around if it, well, if it does get to that point.
0: I, I don't associate Will Borgen with anything
1: uh, along the lines of hate-filled. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely not. I just like it, it just if the series weird. is hate-filled. You want someone who can <laughs> handle himself. Yeah, Borgen. No, furthest thing from hate-filled that I can uh, that I can think of. Yeah. Um, so moving on from Will Borgen, next we had Daniel Sprong. Um, and I was looking forward to this for sure, because, I mean, not only is he one of the biggest free agent questions that the Kraken have this season, he's an RFA, but I can't imagine they're going to qualify him. Don't want to go to arbitration, all that stuff. But also, he's just one of the most interesting players in all of hockey, mm-hmm. given the production that he was able to have in, in such limited minutes. Uh, and so I just think that dynamic was really interesting. And so, you know, as for the free agency question, you know, he, he kind of said, look, but well, you know, that's what you have agents for. You know, he'll handle all that and then, and, and, you know, he's going to make whatever decision he needs to. But, um, I was curious about kind of what he thought of his role this season, because there's kind of two schools of thought, right? One that like, this is just kind of who he is. And this is the role yep. that's meant for him You, you to be uh, kind of getting fourth line minutes, but really excelling in that role. And there's the other school of thought that this just shows that he's ready for more opportunity. That if you give him bigger minutes, maybe he can score at that pace still uh and be a real impact player for you in the top six. And so I asked him if he was kind of comfortable with that role of limited minutes. And he wasn't shy about it. He said, Look, I, I want more minutes. You know, I I I think um you know that that I benefit from more minutes and and, and I do. But he did couch it, kind of say that look, if you ask any of the 23 players in the locker room, they're all going to tell you they want more minutes. You know, they they all believe in themselves. But, you know, you definitely did get the sense talking to to him there that, you know, I I think he really believes in himself and and thinks that he, he could do better if given a bigger opportunity.
0: Right. And, you know, I respect that. I really do. And I think that this year was that for him, right? I mean, it was he had to come in and on a tryout contract and then be like, yeah, no, this is I can do this. And, and prove yep. himself and, and try to go and have a job for next season. Like, that's, that's what this year was, was him playing for his future and not having to go to Europe or go to the AHL or something like that, but to stay in the top league in the world. And, you know, he did everything he possibly could to make that happen. And I just... Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think he recognized that too. I just I like the confidence from him, uh, where he was, you know. He said too, like that, you know, that was whatever it is, what it is, the role that I had. It's it just that's the reality. That's the role that I had, and I think I did a pretty good job. Right. So you know, to to go out and say that about your own game, I like that from him. And and so um, I'll be interested to see kind of what his mindset is, you know, going into to free agency uh, this summer. Uh, A couple more things on Daniel Sprong on the lighter side. um, So I I posted a picture with a quote uh, on Twitter, and I expected the quote to get most of the attention. Mm. But the picture actually seemed to get more attention as these things somehow sometimes work. But he's wearing a New York Yankees hat, Dylan, as I'm sure you saw. And people are all over him about that. Look, I don't like it either. But uh, thoughts on the Yankees hat there, Dylan? No,
0: I, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Like what? It's you just, need to get him a Mariner's hat. You get him. I mean, it's not even just like, oh, it's not a Mariner's hat. It's like the Yankees. Like I know, the, when you wear teams. a Yankees hat, like you're making a statement and that statement is I'm in favor of evil empires. That's what that statement is. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, he was, he was making that statement. I don't know. I I would, I I should have asked him a question about it. So as he was kind of walking off, that'd be a fun one. It's one where I know that if, if the season was continuing and I just kind of saw him in the room the next day, I could ask him about that. And he'd give me some great answer or ton to talk about it with me or explain, Oh, why he's a Yankees fan? He could tell you everyone up and down the lineup or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I, I would expect. So unfortunately I won't be able to follow up with that. Uh, Quickly. But anyway, let's get to the quote on the picture because that's what I found the most interesting. And I I know a lot of you are going to really appreciate this. Um, So he was asked a question from our our good buddy uh, Charles Hamaker at Circling Seattle Sports. Um, You know, how great is it, you know, having Andre Burakovsky around? And, you know, kind of what's that been like this season? And Sprong said, Yeah, that's why I missed two practices before the playoffs started. I needed a bromance break i love it so much oh, I dissect that one dylan i mean i, I it,
0: it's pretty self-explanatory if you ask me i i think so uh and it makes me wonder you know what if what if berkey had been around right like they i know stuck him on a line the together how
1: are they together
0: true fourth line right there
1: <laughs> yeah and, and he added too that like they were both washington capitals but they missed each yeah. other by a year yeah so they weren't on the team together and he's I like i kept s- hearing from Huh? I was going to say, like, how, how are they, like, such close friends? Well, he, this is what he was saying. So they missed each other by a year, and, um, sprong was saying that like when he talked to guys that he played with in washington they're like oh man you're you're just like berkey like you know you guys have so much in common you're like i don't know about that you know i don't really believe it and then he said we actually bet then on the team this year and we just totally clicked and we've had a i'll just say we had a lot of fun together all right all
0: right sounds good so they're just match made in heaven sounds good yeah,
1: apparently. I mean, they're Caps teammates. I guess meeting them separately must have known something like, oh my gosh, you two would get along really well. Yeah,
0: maybe they're both Yankees fans.
1: Yeah, let's let, maybe that one I can ask Burakovsky about next season, maybe. But we'll <laughs> see if I dare on that one. Um, so that was Daniel Sprong. Uh, next was Philip Grubauer. And um, I mean, someone who certainly deserved to be, you know, proud of the effort he put in in the yeah. playoffs And um, of all the guys. Cause you know, a lot of them, I think definitely felt the fatigue. Like I mentioned earlier of playing that playoff run, I'm telling you, Grubauer, he looked like he wanted to just go play another couple, seven totally. game series. He was ready to keep playing ready to keep going. And he said, he loves that grind uh, of being in that schedule. And, and that, he just, it lets you get in that rhythm and, and that focus. And like, that's kind of when he feels like he's playing his best.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the last we saw of him, he was playing his best. And I think missing the time to injury and then seeing what Martin Jones was able to do with this team. And think it motivated him. He knew what, you know, last season was, he knew the conversation around him being on this team and the, the, the way that, you know, a lot of the fan base felt about him, the way the media would talk about him, the way all that stuff would happen and You know that he had to just be upset. He said as much with his performance last year and the way everything went. Uh, So for him to to finally be back at a place where he's dialed in and he probably feels like he's playing as well as he's ever played in his career. And then it's just overnight over. It's got to be a really tough situation, especially after the year that he's had.
1: Yeah, it was a tough situation. And I will say Grubauer, he made sure to give Jones a lot of credit for for what Jones was able to do while he was injured. And he mentioned, you know, while I was out, like Jones stepped up and, and kind of took control and um, gave him a lot of credit for kind of where the team was. And and I think that was a, a really nice gesture there. We didn't get Jones today. Um, you know, figure there might not be a whole lot yeah. to ask him. I think he's probably kind of out the door, but um you know, good from Grubauer there. And I also shout out Steve Breer, the goalie coach, because I think you know he's been a big part of that. Um, and, uh, you know, we kind of tried to, to push and ask, like, OK, well, what what are you working on next? What's the summer look like for you? Um, and, and what kind of thing? He said, well, I'm going to have a meeting with Steve and we're going to talk about all the different things to work on. And we're going to go over that plan and like, OK, you know, like kind of what, what things do you want to work on? He's like, well, that'd be a good question for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could ask Steve that. Uh, he definitely wasn't going to give away any of the secrets.
0: Yeah. Now this has been my thing with, with him, RJ, because, you know, and the conversation we can have tomorrow as we look at the overall roster and what they might have to do in the off season, whether it's Chris Drieger, whether it's Joey Decor, whether it's somebody else, RJ, Philip Grubauer is going to be one of the two goaltenders for this team. I think it's pretty clear. He'll be the starter for the team. Um, I think based on what we saw from him this year, and the fact that he did have that injury and everything, it kept his regular season workload down, but then he was very fresh and ready to go and he could handle the gauntlet that was game after game of the postseason. I, would you be in favor of, you know, it being closer to a tandem next season just for that reason, just for the workload reason where it's, it's you know, Grubauer maybe plays gets 50 games instead of 60 like a regular starter would get for a team?
1: I would. I would like to see that, and I know, like, if you ask Grubauer, he probably wouldn't wouldn't tell you. Yeah, that. Yeah, they're stuff never going to say that. Yeah, and that's exactly. I'm like, this is just something to know for for hockey. Always, goalies will always tell you that the more workload, the better they do, and that's what's best for them because they yes. like being in that rhythm. And they're all goalies liars. Don't I, I don't know <laughs> if they're lying. I think they believe it. I think it's just that goalies don't know. What's best yes. for themselves, workload wise, and so you'll see guys get burnt out because of that, and because teams will will listen to them. And I think as a coach, it's like one of those tough calls you always have to make, and be like, "Hey, sorry, you know, to my starter, you're sitting tonight because mm-hmm. we, we got to work on the workload stuff." But I, I think that's what the Kraken should do. They're a forward-thinking organization. They're a progressive organization. Yeah. I, I think they uh, they'll be on the right side of that.
0: Yeah, and I just think this year was all the example and proof that you would need. Um, is is how the season went. So I think, yeah, one where it's he plays twice a week and someone else plays once a week kind of thing. You know, it's it's that like two and one approach or something like that. I, I just think is the way to go. Um so cool, we're on the same page there. That's that was my big uh, fancy thing with Grubauer. Otherwise, like I said, everybody get off his back. He's great. It's fine.
1: <laughs> yes, he is. I think I think we can all agree on that right now. Um so couple only a couple more players to go here. I'm sure we're kinda of running pretty long on the on this podcast, but I'll, I'll close it out with, um, with Yanni Gord and then Maddie Veneers. So we'll save Maddie for the end. Cause I thought he had some of the best stuff, uh, today, but Yanni Gord, um, like the other vets, I think he realized the opportunity that the team had kind of getting into round two and, and how tough it is. But I think he was kind of, he was proud of the way that the team played and found their identity. And that's something that, that stuck with me from last year's exit interviews, Mm -hmm. where yanni gord was saying and and like the question i think was like what kind of additions need to be made and let's all transport ourselves back to where we were at the end of last season right third to last in the league a really rough season like this team does not have the talent to get it done Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he was asked like what kind of additions need to be made you know for you guys to get where you want to go and he kind of backed off he's like well you know I don't know that we need to really add anything like I just I think that we know how we need to play like we have the formula like we know exactly how we need to play to work and to you know to win and to get to the playoffs like we're capable of that like as we are we're capable of that it's just a matter of like executing it for 60 minutes and for 82 games. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, okay, yeah, right. Like, I'm sorry. I don't see the identity here yet after kind of like, you can see bits of it, but just, you just felt like there was so long of a ways to go. Mm -hmm. And and I do think they need to add things, but like watching it back. Cause I watched it back last night in preparation for this. And I'm like, you know what, this just sounds kind of prophetic. Like, like he knew what he was talking about. And, um, so I think Gord, you know, today just kind of echoed that sentiment of like, you know, we know what we need to play, how we need to play. We know we need to be hard to play against and like we did a better job of it this year. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's kind of always, you know, been his mindset. And it's been consistent from day one with this team. Um, and uh, you saw it in their identity this year, just being so hard to play against being a, a four line team.
0: Yeah, it it's really true. I think you know one of the things I want to talk about tomorrow is continuing that, and and really keeping that as the identity for this group for a while, and you know not just because of the expansion draft, but I think for other reasons they're set up in a way in which it's going to let them continue to be that way. Um, but I I just think it's that's just true of Yanni Gord too. Is I think a lot of times the the people that you think of as you know the class clown or the person who always seems to be laughing and smiling regardless of the situation, or the person who's always a little bit looser, generally those people, it's not always because they're not taking things seriously or because they're just oblivious to the realities of the situation around them. It's just because they're comfortable. And they don't let external pressures get to them. They don't worry about things. Uh, in the same way that other people worry about them. It has nothing to do with whether or not they're taking him seriously. And I think Yanni Gord is one of those people where, look, he's someone who very reasonably could have expected to never play in the NHL. And yet here he is. He's played however many games, you know, hundreds of games in the NHL. He's won Stanley Cups. He's done all of these incredible things. And it's given him perspective of, look, things things happen. And, and he's able to look at them from a different uh, for, through a different lens that other players maybe don't acquire through their career when they just are the first-round pick and then they play an extra year of junior and then they go into the lineup and then they slowly work their way up and through it or whatever versus having to do what he did. And I think he's, it gave him a, a broader perspective. He's able to look at teams in a different way just because of how he had to join them and, and work his way up through organizations and everything. And I think that that's partly what he does here is it's given him a different kind of macro view of things. And I, and I think that that's where he's at. And that's why he feels so comfortable and confident in this group is because he's seen lots of different teams at lots of different levels of this sport. And I think he's just comfortable and calling it as he sees it and he sees this as a team that is capable of doing a lot and and was able to show up this year and he thought was able to show up the year before had things allowed them to whether it was getting to know each other more do more team building exercise just have an extra week of training camp who even knows what that would have done for the squad so i I just think a lot of it has to do with him just being a special person who's been able to take a lot of the experiences he's gone through as well as just the inherent personality he had But I really trust him and his perspective when he does talk about things like that because he is someone who's seen a lot more than a lot of other players, certainly players his age have. And I think that that's important to listen to them then when they they say stuff like that.
1: He knows what he's talking about, and it made me think, too, listening to the whole media availability man like man this guy's going to be a really good coach one day if he wants to be yeah you know if that's kind of the avenue he chooses to go like I I think he'd be a fantastic coach uh you know lots of career left you know still before we talk about that but uh just a thought I had on on Yanni Gord um so on to Maddie Beniers and I've been looking forward to this one yeah uh because he had lots of great things to say and I again I just love the personality with Maddie. you know Mm -hmm. he doesn't he doesn't hold back he'll he'll tell you what's on his mind and um you know it's it's different than other young guys who I think have been kind of coached out of a lot of that stuff. Right. Um, you know, with like the media training and whatnot, but he's, he's still got a great personality and, um, he wasn't shy about it and what we were maybe thinking might be the case. And this is the kind of thing I could see some players maybe wanting to hide a little bit. Um, but, but Maddie didn't, and I respect him for it that he, I think he was tired. Yeah. Like after this grind of a season and, and he, Flat out said, like, I, I'm ready for rest. I'm ready for the offseason. I'm ready for summer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he made that clear. And and I think we kind of suspected that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I know you certainly did from kind of being in the room in game five and game seven of that Dallas series as it was getting to those more grueling times. Uh, you know, I suspected a little bit, too. And, and, you know, just kind of watching his play and everything. Um, but he was not shy about how much of a grind it was uh mm-hmm. he said the most games he'd played in a season before was like 50 something yeah. and usually it was like 30 something yeah and all of a sudden he plays 94 games this year and he was asked like did it did it feel like 94 yes yeah yeah it did <laughs> and um so you could tell it 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 just kind of wore on him and and not just that but i think you know it, it's it's being in a different city being away from Know kind of home for that long. I think it just has a little bit of a different feel to it. And he talked about how he's eager to get home, eager to you know go on the boat and and kind of relax. You know, back in in Massachusetts. And I think you know maybe there's a little bit of homesickness there. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, I, I think it's just something that you know a young player is going to grow th- go through. On, on a grind of a season like that. And something that we probably could have predicted at the start of the season because a lot of young players go through that. And so I think it's been kind of this process for Maddie, And I really, I like and respect that he, you know, wasn't shy about uh, about talking about it.
0: Right, yeah. I was just looking it up. The most games you would have played in a single season before would have been in 2019-20 and it would have been 50 games. And yeah. that's with, that's like two different leagues worth of games put together. And that was uh, yeah, 16, Totally different. Me. That's why I'm at 60. But still, that's 60 and it's at junior level U18 stuff like it's not the NHL physicality and then 14 games of playoff physicality on top of it. But that's what I think was so important about them going and lasting as long as they did in the postseason was that it was important for the group to come together and bond the way that they did, for everybody to understand everybody's strengths and weaknesses in Game 7 situations, when everything's on the line, when your back's up against the wall, um, who comes through in, in certain situations, who maybe needs a little bit of uh, extra help in other certain situations, who is able to... Um, you know, deal with the physicality. Who who isn't? How how do they like to deal with that physicality? Right? Are they someone who's going to go out of their way to make the hit? Are they going to be someone that's going to wait for a perfect moment and then just level somebody? Right? Like there's everybody plays differently in the playoffs, and I think it was important for the group to learn that about each other. But I really think it was important for the young guys and for especially Maddie Beniers just to understand what it is. He has a frame of reference for this now that can never be taken away from him. It's something that he will always be able to better prepare for. It's just like with him getting that 10 games in last year. And I said how important that was. Not so much for him to, oh, the game is going to slow down or anything for him the following season. No, it's just to understand the routine of what it is to be a professional. And and how to show up for practice every day, how to be there for morning skate, how to how to operate as a professional hockey player within the organization, around the people that, you know, the training staff, all of that kind of stuff, how important all that was. I think it's the same thing with this playoffs. Now he understands and has a frame of reference for how to be as a professional NHLer come playoff time and what it's going to take from an effort standpoint, what it's going to take from a rest and recovery standpoint, what it's going to take from just an internal motivational standpoint to get your body and mind ready into a place where not only you're going to go out there and let it get beat up. But you're also going to have to perform and you're going to have to mentally execute and not make mistakes. And I think that that's just a really difficult thing. And it's not—it's just something that no matter how many veteran leaders you have on your team, until you go through it, you're not going to know what the best process for you is going to be. And now he had two full rounds to go through it, two seven-game series to go through that and learn that about himself. And it's only going to make the entire Kraken team and organization better next year because
1: of it. Yeah, and I think he's already started to think about next season and kind of how to be better suited for that and a better position for it. And one of the things he did talk about was putting on weight. And, uh, you know, we know that's kind of been a struggle this season. I think he actually like lost weight over the course of this season. And he did say he felt a little bit, you know, in the, in the playoffs. And he said, you know, I'd I'd love to put on more weight over the off season. More weight is always good. Uh, you know, kind of helping guys, you know, get guys off your back in the corners and things like that. Uh, you added, you know, if he can add some, some muscle to his legs as well, maybe go faster. Um, you know, it's definitely something he's looking to do. He, He did say it is a big, a bit of a struggle for him though. You know, as, as it, probably you know would make sense that it is given his metabolism given his age and everything I, I think one of the reporters joked with him you know like well hey if you need to gain weight come see me or whatever you know mm-hmm. and he said you know he jokes about it with his parents actually <laughs> you know they said they'll say you know i eat a bowl of ice cream i get 10 pounds you eat it you lose weight you know what's gives uh with all of that but uh it is a struggle but i know that he's uh you know he's going to be working on that and and trying to kind of bulk up for for next season because I, I think he does realize that it's necessary
0: yeah it's it's definitely going to be necessary especially with you know the fact that this team is going to be playing playoff hockey again next year most likely right they're going to be fighting for that not only that they're going to not want to be a wild card team so they're going to be pushing even more during the regular season so it's important stuff it's you know that's just the struggle of young players I mean it's just the way it is we'll be talking about it with Shane Wright probably next year too oh yeah it's the way it is um so sure good stuff though so
1: Couple more things on Matty Beniers. Uh, first of all, first off, he's got great perspective too, because he had a question about, you know, like what's it like living the dream, you know, playing in the NHL after a year? And he said, you know, it's great. You, you get to play hockey and make money doing it. You get paid yeah. to do it. <laughs> so, Imagine that. Uh, you know, I know. So he definitely realizes how, uh, how fortunate he is. Um, and then finally, uh, got the question in from Allison asked, you know, who's the Mario Kart champ at the end of the season? maddie says it's him so uh, unsurprising we know he was gaining on morgan geeky like from the numbers but he says it's him um unfortunately we got maddie after we got geeky so i couldn't like go back to him and be like all right is that legit so if i somehow see morgan geeky around maybe the t-birds game or something i will ask him but uh as far as maddie says it's him
0: I was gonna say just hang out at a local pizza hut long enough, you're bound to see him. Um There you <laughs> go. <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 what I clued in on was you said that he said it was him. So uh I believe that though. I think he was he was gaining traction and uh you know that's that's what you wanna do. If you're if you wanna be a leader on a team, go be named captain next off season. You gotta uh gotta gotta be king of the hill somewhere. And Mario Kart's the place to you know, as good a place as any.
1: Yep got to command that respect in the room outside the room with uh, with some mario kart victories so those are kind of my takeaways from uh from the exit interviews today um you know great day the players are always you know they're always awesome with this kind of stuff you know stick around for all the questions we wanted to ask and um pr as always does a great job and yeah. um you know, want to give a big thank you to them we're going to get uh dave haxtell and ron francis tomorrow so that'll be very interesting. Uh, gonna ask them some questions, kind of more on the bigger picture stuff, the roster management stuff, the coaching stuff, all of that. And so we'll have part two of this uh, for you after that, with some takeaways from them.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's gonna be good, and we'll talk about not just their takeaways, but also kind of some of the off-season questions that everybody's been having that we've been having to put off. Uh, while the crack have been in the playoffs, we can start addressing those and start giving some ideas about them all. So going to be a big one. This one's already long enough, though. going to go ahead and end it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring Deep Dive, as always. And we'll see you all uh, tomorrow. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash Hockey, Especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane? Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Burnt Krem, Kaelin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken,
1: Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, C.A. Kraken, Sean B., Sean O., Sergey, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Hasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.